This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Welcome, Father Jeffrey. Welcome to all our listeners. It's the season finale of the baptism series, Father Jeffrey. We've made it to the end. We've we've passed through the waters of baptism and have come to a new life in, in God's coming age. Um, so here we are. But before we say goodbye to the service of baptism and this season, uh, we thought we'd do a finale episode where we review a couple of things. I have a couple of questions for you, Father Jeffrey, and I'm sure there's going to be a bit of review. Um, but hopefully there'll be uh, a few new things that we're going to explore in this episode. Uh, does that sound reasonable? Sounds like a good idea. Awesome. Okay. Um, there, I'll, I'll start. I'll st- so in the go- in the um, Acts of the Apostles, there's a story of Philip, who gets sent to an Ethiopian eunuch who's traveling. And the Ethiopian eunuch asks Philip to explain a passage from Isaiah, and Philip does. And then the eunuch says, oh, look, there's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? And Philip is sort of like, I got nothing. Like, there's no reason. So he just gets baptized and moves on with his life. (laughs) Right? And, And, like, there doesn't seem to be much, like, prep work, and there doesn't seem to be much, like, care about the fact that this Ethiopian eunuch is now going to go to a place that doesn't have any... Orthodox churches and won't actually be part of a church community. So I guess one thing I'd like to start this conversation with is in our Orthodox tradition, there seems to be a baptism. Baptism is a big deal. Like the the whole preparation for being baptized and the whole expectation of what you need to do now with your life after being baptized, there's sort of a big deal to it. But we have the story in the New Testament, which seems very, it seems like baptism is relatively nonchalant. And I'm wondering if we could talk about why is there a disconnect here? Like, should the Orthodox Church be just more accepting of um, off-the-cuff baptisms? Um, or or is our system of having preparation and things like that actually good? So I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Father Jeffrey. Yeah, I mean, this is often <laughs> kind of trotted out, just kind of suggest exactly that sort of thing. I think, though, if you look carefully at the narrative, it's a compressed, you know, story. It's not like a dozen or fifteen verses in in Acts chapter eight. Um, you, you, um, although it seems to happen relatively quickly, you know, and you sort of think that it is a bit ad hoc or off the cuff, as you say, um, all the elements are nevertheless there, right? Um, bar perhaps the sort of integration into the kind of local community and everything. But of course, the this gentleman is going to go off, you know, he's on his way back to, um, to Ethiopia and, you know, he'll play a, a major role in evangelizing, you know, that country. So that can almost be excused by the fact that there's this kind of fervent desire to share the the gospel and so forth. But if you look carefully, I'd say all the elements are nevertheless there. You know, there was that kind of initial um, spark of interest. You know, he's already been, um, you know, sitting there reading Isaiah the prophet, you know, and and he's he's determined to kind of get to the to the heart of that. He you know he he doesn't understand what he's reading in the in the prophecy of Isaiah, and he asks for a guide. You know, so that's 
kind of the catechetical process. He's made a catechumen sort of in a few seconds. And then, you know, Philip comes and sits with him, right? And they sit with the scriptures. And, you know, they 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 look at the you know the the verses from from Isaiah that he's puzzling over. Uh, it has happens to be you know it has to do with the the that core part of Isaiah you know chapter fifty three the, the the tale of the the suffering servant the prophecy of the suffering servant which of course is at the heart of of the gospel you know fulfillment in in the prophetic acts of Jesus Christ in his passion death and resurrection and so Philip is able to guide him and and to lead him it says he preaches to him Jesus right uh, and then they go on their way together right and and it's at that point that the the eunuch says you know what should stop me you know, from being baptized here? Like, what is the kind of preliminary thing that is that I need to do here? Well, and, and Philip points out, you know, you have to believe. You have to believe with all your heart. Um, and he says, oh, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right? So although it's this compressed narrative, it maybe takes place over a few hours, maybe an afternoon, something like that. Nevertheless, everything is there. He believes from all his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and is Son of God. And that is the criterion. And if we have elongated this process of inquiry and catechesis and preparation and instruction and, and you know, getting those preliminaries in place before baptism, it's not necessarily that the criteria have changed. It's that in, in many times and places, maybe almost all of the time to get to that point of believing with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God takes some doing, right? There's, there's a lot more that needs to kind of fall away from, from the scales of our eyes, a lot more of our heart that needs to be softened to be able to, to believe that fully and so forth. So, so I don't necessarily interpret this as a, okay, there's a way to do this that takes only a few hours rather than a few months or years, but rather that everything that's needed is here. And in some and maybe most, and probably all people, <laughs> apart from this eunuch, uh, it takes a lot longer you know, than this. But if you can get here, and I think that's where maybe you know, the, the import of your question is, for those who are at this place, if, you, if we have and we meet people who are ready with all their heart to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and who've had their eyes of their mind and heart opened to the gospel and are ready to commit themselves to be transformed into the pattern of the life of Christ, then we shouldn't wait. You know, we shouldn't delay just for the sake of, I don't know, decency or, you know, some sort of normal process. You know, I, I often make this point in, you know, kind of catechetical work, whether it's small classes or one-to-one -one or whatever. I say, you know, the, the bar here, you know, is is a relatively low one. It's not like you need to go off and study all these books or pass tests or understand and be able to quote the ecumenical councils, their church fathers or, or whatever. Essentially, it boils down to this. Are you comfortable committing your life to Jesus Christ? Are you committing to making him your Lord and Savior? And if that's the point um, of it all, and we meet people at that point, then Absolutely, we should bring them to baptism forthwith, right? There's, there's no other um, criteria. So all of that other stuff has to be about bringing people to this moment where they, you know, as we see in the baptism service itself, you know, they turn away from, from the, the, the world, the flesh and the devil, and they turn towards the sovereignty of God in Jesus Christ. And 
I mean, that's what it's all about. We shouldn't overly complicate it, you know, beyond that. So I like this compressed narrative. I like the fact that it it draws us back to the to the the kind of essentials of the thing. So that we don't lose ourselves in some sort of idea that becoming orthodox is like, you know, doing a university degree or something like that. And I, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but knowing that full well that there's an awful lot of times and places where we kind of make it seem like that, right? Oh, well, you want to be orthodox, but you haven't read Losky yet, or you haven't read, you know, uh, such and such a church father, or, you know, come and meet, you know, this whole library of, of books and, and everything and, or, you know, or attend you know, X number of services before, you know, you're, you're ready to, to actually commit yourself. Well, it, that's not the point. The point is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if people are in that place, then they are Orthodox, right? They're ready to be brought into the fullness of the church. Remember that the, the, the confession of faith that's made at baptism is the Nicene Creed. So anybody who's capable of pronouncing and believing that with, as I say, at the heart of it, this this absolute trust and belief in Jesus as Lord, then they're orthodox and we shouldn't hesitate or make it more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. One of the other things I wanted to reflect upon in this finale episode, Father Jeffrey, is what the experience of the service of baptism should be like for those who are in the church and in the community, but aren't themselves being baptized in that moment. So the congregation, the community that is gathered to support and to pray for the person who is being baptized. Um, obviously, a lot of this series focused on what that candidate is going through, but we're not, you know, individuals, we're part of a community and there's sort of this communal going through that process, even though, you know, the other people aren't being dunked in the water. So I'm wondering if we could spend a little bit of time reflecting on what what maybe what is the attitude that we should have in church and what are maybe some of the things we could focus on, focus our attention on if we are there to support somebody else who is being going through the service of baptism in that moment in church. What are some of the things we could kind of focus on? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think um, we addressed a little bit of this when we talked about the fact that, you know, it, through most of Orthodox Church history, you know, people were not baptized at as infants, but at least as, you know, kind of toddlers or, or, or older. And that sense of, you know, being able to remember your own baptism was a key part of that. So for people who have that experience, um, it, some of the answer to your question can seem relatively obvious in the sense that, ah, I remember that, you know, oh, I know what's going to happen next, you know, not only because I remember my baptism, I remember being at all the other baptisms I've been at since. And, you know, every time it's reminded me, you know, of, of what's kind of going on here. And it's an invitation to revisit, right? Not in a nostalgic way, but in a, you know, in a kind of remembering, you know, putting back into it's into the body of our own lives, you know, the experience that, that we had. And I mean, this argues possibly for postponing, you know, uh, infant baptism to a little bit later, but at the very least, what it argues for is that every baptism should be a baptism of the whole church community. So that, you know, every time you've gone to a baptism, 
you know, it's a reminder of all those other times which you would have experienced, not just because you happen to be part of the immediate family of somebody being baptized or because you're a godparent, but because this is what's regularly happening in the body of Christ, that new members are being grafted into that body. And so there's this, you know, in the same way that we become with a service like the Divine Liturgy, which becomes so familiar to us that that everything is just constantly inviting us deeper in, you know, every time we celebrate that, where it's a further up and further in experience. Well, you know, baptism shouldn't be so unusual as an experience in our lives that that we notice everything for the first time, or we're bumping up against it. It's pinching, you know, at, at us in in ways that are, you know, just uncomfortable somehow that it should actually be this is the normal content of our christian life and here is another reminder another opportunity to recall the fullness of what that means to the point that actually in our daily life we should be recalling that right we've talked a lot about that in this series about how every element in the baptism service has you know direct powerful implications for our day-to-day life right it's not it's not a, a moment that kind of is just a line in in the sand that somehow we were this and now we're that it is that but it's also it's the content of our new life in in to a very great extent and so if ever we are struggling which is most days if ever we are you know facing challenges or you know finding obstacles in our new life as christians it's to this service in our minds and our hearts that we need to return for all of the 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 grace that we were given initially we talked about that that the grace is a hundred percent poured out in that moment but we need to then draw down on that in in our in our daily life, in our life forwards. And so to have the service almost as the the kind of matrix in which we live our lives, it's so framed in our minds that we can return in our minds and hearts to particular moments, to, to be reminded and encouraged and filled again with the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit is really important. You know, and I encourage people who have forgotten that to just to pick up the service of baptism and to, to use that as part of their prayer. And it might actually be a more useful thing to do than to take up, you know, the daily prayers in your prayer book at, at times to, to kind of recall the content of your new life in Christ, what it, what it looks like to be the new Adam, to have put on Christ, to, to be now fully uh, members of the age to come in the here and now. And so I think that's a kind of key part is to be familiar with it to the point where when we're present at that, everything speaks to us in the real life, you know, that we have. I mean, there's this, you know, kind of sense in which baptism often is thought of as just a kind of box to tick on a list somehow, something to, to, to knock off that either because we, we view it's absolutely necessary for salvation. So we need to have that, but then we don't worry about it a whole lot, you know, afterwards. Um, remember that famous joke about, you know, the kind of, uh, pastors sitting around talking about the fact that, you know, one of them has bats in his bell tower and he doesn't know how to get rid of them. He's tried everything. He's called out pest control. He's brought in traps. He's brought in devices to scare them off. And when a senior pastor says, well, I know what you need to do. You need to baptize them. Then you'll never see them again. <laughs> so, yep, yep. you know, the, it, it, there's truth to that, sadly, you know, that, you know, the, the, the fervent, 
commitment to the church that that leads us to that moment of baptism and all that preparation and all the the kind of um you know the, the ramping up of the christian life that we're expecting and we're baptized and then i don't know whether it's the the balloon is punctured or or whether you know we just quickly confront all those challenges i've been speaking of and don't draw down on the grace of baptism in order to confront them but very often there's that kind of falling off either one disappears completely or just over a long period there's a kind of attrition of um of that grace and 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 eventually you know we we can lose that and so the the key thing here when we're ever present at a baptism is to recall this is our life and you know we need to be standing and living in this daily because it's not magic right it will it's not you know the thing that gets us into heaven have you know we've ticked the box and and that's the that's it job done it is the everything we need to live the life here and now of the age to come putting on on Christ being transformed in union with him being brought into the fullness of his body in order to bring the gospel of the kingdom to the world and if we're not doing any of those things then quite frankly the baptism was useless right there was no value in that there's no value whatsoever in ticking a box and so you know having just done that has has no value unless you actually go out and live that so i think that's the main thing to kind of to pay attention to but also to maybe as the you know candidate is going forward in through these different stages to even if we don't have the opportunity as some western liturgies have recovered or renewed in in the liturgical movement and so forth where where the confession of faith is done in in common and those renunciations of satan and and so forth are are done as a community exercise something quite lovely about that um but we don't have that but in our minds and hearts we need to be doing that right Re- recommitting ourselves to to that same reality because again although we don't have the words that those services do that you know we pledge to to look after and care for and support this new member of our body it's implied right it's implied that we take responsibility one for another that the 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 body of Christ that we're belonging is as an interdependence and that interdependence means that we are looking out for one another we are made soldiers for Christ but we're soldiers you know in that kind of you know US marine sense of no man left behind right we we need to make sure that we're we've got each other's back and we are you know moving forward together as full members of of that new body and so i think there's a, there's an awful lot that's implied for the community gathered in in the baptismal service um but the more we're familiar with it and make that a a normal part of our understanding of our christian life the more we'll see those connections and those opportunities for for full participation in it we're not just there to observe right we are there as full participants like the person and his sponsor who are being uh, baptized the podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom father jeffrey and i actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast this private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to our private podcast, go to 
patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. Because baptism is such a big life event, whether it's for an infant or for an adult, it tends to be a, a big moment of transition. You get a lot of family that wants to come and support that, right? Um, and a lot of the family might not actually be Orthodox. So often at an Orthodox baptism, you'll have a subset of the congregation will be the actual church, local Orthodox church community that is gathered uh, in prayer. But you'll also have a large swath of family members or friends who are not Orthodox and don't really want to become Orthodox and might not even understand anything about Orthodoxy and may never have stepped into an Orthodox church before. Um, but nonetheless, they're there to support the candidate who's being baptized. I'm wondering, Father Jeffrey, if you could, if what kind of advice would you give to a person who is not Orthodox, who is coming to an Orthodox baptism, and they want to support in any way they can, but they're also not actually a member of the Orthodox Church? What can they do in that context? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. That's a, that's a, it's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> It is. And I mean, I suppose it, the natural response to that, you know, it has to be about, you know, what, what does one say in the, in the homily? Because we've gone through, right. um, you know, the text of the service and what it means and, and so forth. A lot of that, most of it, all of it is going to be lost on, on anybody who has no familiarity. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously people have levels of cultural familiarity with these things. They've probably seen soap operas where children get baptized or christened on, on TV, or, you know, they, they, they've maybe been to something like that or some analogous thing. They just sort of assume, oh, this is like the, you know, the Jewish bris or, or whatever. Um, so there, there are points of intersection, but they're very, very shallow indeed, right? So I, I think... Uh, the real answer here can only be that in some simple but direct form, the gospel has to be announced, right? Um, and I, I think those opportunities, as you described, where there are people, friends and family who have no familiarity with the church, I mean, we get these through various sacraments. It happens at funerals. It happens at weddings. It happens at baptisms. Um, and... You know, I think the only answer here has got to be how do we take advantage of this maybe one moment in a decade when this person is actually inside a church and maybe because of their openness to the family, to to the friendship, to to the the kind of ceremonial moment, maybe they're taken in by the beauty of the of the thing. There's there's an opportunity to kind of I don't know, send an arrow through a tiny little slot that could maybe pierce their hearts. But it, ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to, to guide them, right? Um, to, to, to actually convict them in their hearts. But that work is only possible if we're there to proclaim the gospel. And so, I mean, in my short remarks, I don't think you get a, a long homily normally in a, in a baptism, but my short remarks, I would tend to go straight to the heart of the gospel. What is this? What is this not? You know, what are they, what are the things you might be thinking this is that, that it's not some sort of just cultural ritual, some sort of rite of passage or, or whatever that far exceeds that, that this really is about 
um, you know, you can say shocking things too, right? The, the kind of jolt people into paying attention, right? That, you know, we've just put this person to death, right? Um, and what does that mean? And then you find people start to, you know, perk up their ears a little bit <laughs> and listen a little bit to, to words like that. But I mean, I, I point you at, you know, homilies in the Acts of the Apostles and in the early church where that they were centered on the kerygma, right? The, that core gospel preaching that is summed up, as we said earlier, that, you know, as Philip says to, to the Ethiopian eunuch, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, is Son of God, and he comes to believe that. If you can accept that, then you know what's going on, you understand, and you're in the right place. Anything short of that is window dressing. It's, 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 it's interesting song and, and music and ritual and so forth. But, you know, you can get that, you know, down at any number of, of venues, right? From music halls to spas to, to whatever, if that's all it's about, um, you know, there's, there's ample opportunity culturally to do that sort of thing. So the only thing to do, I think, is to point people to Jesus Christ and, and hope that somehow they're malleable enough to hear the, you know, the call of the Holy Spirit in their, in their lives. And maybe, you know, this will plant a seed that bears fruit now or, or later, but this, this becomes one of the, the kind of key moments when they've heard the gospel proclaimed to them. If they have their eyes opened, you know, the, the service presents the whole of the gospel right and and we just have to point at it with our with our few words but you know if somebody approached me ahead of time i would i would maybe just highlight a few of those those key things of what it means to have jesus as lord uh how that's different from just simply having a kind of religion as a hobby right that this is a totally new life the person is dying and you know their, their self is dying, and it is Christ who lives in them, and they are becoming a different kind of human being, the true kind of human being. I think all of that presented rightly is a compelling story. It's one that people should at least consider before rejecting, you know, not rather than just sort of mm -hmm. having ignored generally. So let's give them a service and a and a, a message and an experience that is harder to ignore. I guess that's my bottom line, you know, something mm -hmm. that will, you know, eat away at the edges of their mind thereafter. And then, you know, and if it, it comes to it in their own life, they come to a point of crisis or a point of, of real crossroads, you know, maybe something in what they experienced this day will be with them and they'll say, hang on, there was something else that was told about one time and it looked different from what this is, or it was at least one of the choices I have in this life. Let me go and look that up a little bit more. And who knows, you know, we never necessarily have a full picture of what our services and our words and our life, um, our, you know, the living of the gospel, what kind of effect that has on people. Um, and I think we can trust that the Holy Spirit will continue to be at work in people that we only get a very few short minutes with. But let's make them as as good as possible, uh, and as as clear as possible, and as unambiguous as possible in proclaiming Jesus as Lord. The last question I wanted to ask for this series is so wide ranging that there's no possible way we could get through it uh, in a short <laughs> amount of time. That being said, I do think we have been answering this question throughout the series. So this is a question that can possibly you can go back and listen to this whole series again with this in mind. But one of the things that we focused on in our Vespers series was how does this service change or affect 
how you live your life outside of church. And, you know, the last question for this podcast in a few short minutes is, how is the service of baptism supposed to change your life outside of church? And if I were to maybe answer for you, Father Jeffrey, uh, you Mm -hmm. can let me know what you think. One thing uh, I would probably say, uh, it's supposed to change everything, everything. Everything is, is supposed to change, not in the sense of you're doing all new things, but you are renewing the way that you live your life. You are uh, uh, cutting certain things away that pro- probably are, are not helpful, but then accent, uh, uh, accenting things in your life that should be um, more prominent. And the one thing that actually came to my mind, and maybe this could be sort of our last metaphor before signing off for the series, is you know, back in our Vespers series, we talked about Psalm 103, the, the opening Psalm of Vespers. And we talked at one point about, well, what comes first, life or death, right? And in that psalm, death is the thing that comes first and life comes out of that, right? And, and it's kind of backwards from the way that we think today. But when we think of baptism as this new birth, right? You're being born again, so to speak. You are dying, but then you are raised to new life. And death comes first, life comes after that. Um, and you know, our whole life, our whole life after our baptism should be a life of life, not a life of death. Um, but I'll, I'll let you take it away and have the final word here, Father Jeffrey. Yeah, that's that's precisely right. And it, it's a kind of reversal of sorts. It's one of the many reversals that and paradoxes that um, the this new life introduces, right? And it's important to remember that because, you know, one of the most discouraging things, I suppose, um, about life as we know it is, you know, to sort of feel like we're not making progress, whether it's individually or as a society, as, as a civilization, you know, it seems like every day brings new challenges, new sufferings, new, new sorrows, whether it's unearthing old ones that were never revealed before, or whether it's just, you know, the, the new, you know, kind of difficulties and, and dark, you know, situation that, that we live, climate change and racism and, and warfare and hunger and, and, and so forth. And in what we're doing in baptism is we're introducing the person, but the whole world to a totally new way of being. And, and it's the way that was in keeping with God's original purposes. And so there's a, there's a hopefulness that comes from this is not yet done right? If you have been living in this world and despairing of it, this is the invitation of the gospel to enter into a new way of being in which the world is continuing to unfold according to God's plan. And out of death comes life. You might be thinking that there was a beginning, we're somewhere in the middle and we're heading towards a dark end. But in actual fact, the death and darkness and suffering are leading to new light and life and and joy and grace and ultimately uh, the, the the revelation of of everything that God intends in this new creation and so i would say that this idea of new creation not an old creation remedied somehow you know it's sometimes the way people think of the christian message oh we're going to wrap up and and heal this old thing. No, this is a renewal of everything, starting with death and death that gives life. And so it's that 
reality that that has to kind of characterize you know the whole of what's going on here and connected to that is what needs to be our response to that because this is fundamentally a, a kind of concretization of faith of pistis right and we emphasize this in in the series that it's not just this intellectual assent but rather utter faithfulness, unconditional commitment and trust, and a total belonging to something and to someone in this case, right? Because, you know, in in this service, we reject even demons and and the devil, but they have an intellectual ascent. They, they, They know God is God, you know, and so it's not just that that matters. Here, what we're called to do is not just have this mental idea or ideology, but a total acceptance of the sovereignty of God, right? And it's only that way that this new creation will begin to unfold in our world. When we have people who completely trust and put their faith and their love and their dependence in God as the one who is you know, bringing this in, into being, in, in, in and through Jesus Christ, and everything that the Holy Spirit has brought from Pentecost forward. This is what our confession is, that Jesus is Lord, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out, and to live in utter commitment to that, unconditional trust in that, is what is at stake here. And that's the only way things are going to you know, move forward. Now, that Moving forward is inevitable. It's inexorable. God will be all in all one day. But for us to participate in it means to throw ourselves completely into that. And that's why this is not just a once for all thing. It, 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 why it affects the totality of our lives. What part of our lives have we yet to bring into that uh, framework of total trust in God? Uh, and that's what this service is all about, right? So that those who are baptized, those who have who, who come to believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized will be saved, it says in the gospel. Well, what does that salvation look like? It's the new creation. And we need to, it's not just a matter of you know, hedging our bets, checking a box, doing something you know ritually to please somebody else or to even just sort of represent our intellectual um, commitment to something. It is a complete new existence. And it's an existence, here's another paradox, that comes from the end of all things, because we can begin here and now, in spite of all that darkness in our lives and in our civilization and our world around us, we can begin to, to know and experience and share the life that comes from the very end of all things. That's what it means to be baptized for the remission of sins. Right? It's not a matter of, oh, it's an eraser or it's a, you know, um, a statute of limitation somehow on our, our sins that you know, those things are just thrown out. It's because we begin to be known and to experience the world and share the experience with the world from the end. We become people of the eschaton, of the last day, of the Lord's day. And if we are utterly committed to that, then everything is new. Everything is transformed and the new creation takes shape here and now in the way that God intends and will ultimately, you know, reveal. So this is not the sort of thing you can hedge your bets on, or it's not the sort of thing you can go in and half measures. Um, There's no second gear in the Christian life. This is 
full pedal to the metal, right? Pedal to the metal. Um, and we need to make sure that in every part of our life, we are actually living this out, which is why I said earlier about the, we need to return again and again to this service to make this the content of our life. Because if we truly believe this, then we move from just being simply like the demons, people who acknowledge the existence of God, to being those who are truly his servants, truly his sons and daughters, truly his friends, and ultimately those who are bringing the age to come into actuality here and now as he has called us to do. And so, yeah, there's there's no way you can sell this as a kind of, um, you know, partial you know, commitment or some sort of uh, half measure. It really is the totality of our lives that, that should be affected by it. There's no corner of our life that we shouldn't be asking the question, what does my baptism mean for this, right? You're confronted with a difficult situation in your daily life. What does my baptism say to, about this? What does it mean that I am here representing the life of the age to come, the new creation? If we answered every question like that, right? as kind of a variation on the WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? What, what, what would a baptized member of the kingdom of God do is ultimately what we're saying. And that, that response will transform our life. Enacting the Kingdom is a patron-supported show. And if you're not a patron, you're only getting half of everything we create. If you'd like to join our growing community of supporters, please go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.